Microphone check. One, two. CC. Hello and welcome at CC. Hello and welcome at one, two, three, four, five, six. She sells seashells by the seashore. She sells seashells by the seashore. There we go. Rolling. This series was very stressful to make from the standpoint of the ambition of it, coupled with the difficulty of of navigating relationships. There was just a lot of moving parts to this series. This was probably the hardest thing I've had to make ever because it, it ended up being three to three and a half years of intensive work on all fronts. Hello and welcome to The Documentary Life, a show that sets out to inspire and inform you on how to best live and lead your own documentary life. I am your host, Chris G. Parkhurst, and this is episode number 95. And it is brought to you by Barong Films, proud creators of Documentary Film, the Documentary Life podcast, and the Documentary Academy, our industry-changing A to Z documentary filmmaking program that will transform you into the documentary filmmaker that you've always wanted to be. Find out more at thedocumentarylife.com slash academy. Back in episode number 62, we spoke with one of the most recognizable names in the industry, doc filmmaker Steve James. At the time, Steve was set to attend the 2018 Academy Awards with his film Abacus Small Enough to Jail. Still to this day, it is one of the most downloaded episodes of our podcast. And I think there's pretty darn good reason for that. Ever since I got into documentary, and certainly ever since I've been doing the show, Steve's is often one of the first names that ever comes up when people talk about either their favorite doc films, or even more commonly, when filmmakers talk about their biggest influences. Steve was always one of my doc heroes, but I don't think I ever quite realized the extent of just how many doc filmmakers, and I'm talking doc filmmakers around the world, consider Steve James one of their biggest inspirations for becoming doc filmmakers. Last September, through Participant Media and Stars, Steve released his latest and perhaps most important work to date, The Monumental dare I say megalithical, is that even a word? I don't know. The most extraordinary documentary series, America to me, a 10-part series that takes on race, education, and parenting all in one setting, Oak Park, Illinois, more specifically, Oak Park and River Forest High School. I don't know that we've ever had a guest on the show multiple times, let alone twice in one year, but I'm guessing that you're not going to mind. And if you do, then you can't possibly be a doc filmmaker. Kidding. Sort of. In any case, Steve graciously accepted my invitation to come back on the show, and not surprisingly, you're going to love it. There's much to be learned here from our conversation. So thanks for checking in with us this week, Doc Lifer. As always, I am honored and excited to have your ears. We will be right back here on The Documentary Life. Before we get to our conversation with Steve James, I wanted to make sure that you were aware of a way to dive even deeper into the community that we're building here on The Documentary Life. 
We have a TDL Community Facebook group page. And unlike a lot of Facebook group pages where you simply, you know, like the page and, and then never see or hear from the page again, this one I am particularly proud to say is a very active and supportive community. Doc Lifers from around the globe regularly use our community Facebook group page to share ideas and projects, engage with other Doc Lifers, and offer up all kinds of practical support and advice. If you haven't already joined up, I highly recommend doing so today. I'll put a direct link to the Documentary Life Community Facebook group up in the show notes for this episode. Excited to welcome back to the program legendary film director Steve James. In fact, we had him we had him on the show on the eve of the Academy Awards for his film Abacus Small Enough to Jail. And uh, man, that uh, that show did rather well for us, Steve. We are very happy to have you on on the program again. <laughs> okay, glad I could uh, support the program. <laughs> Steve, catch us up on the journey of Abacus since last we spoke. So if it was right before the Academy Awards, yeah. then we went to the Academy Awards. We had a uh, we had a, a great time. The whole family went, uh, as well as uh, a, a large slew of the crew. I think we had the largest contingent at the award ceremony. They were they were very generous to us in in providing us tickets. Nice, um, nice. Maybe maybe because they figured we wouldn't be back, so they <laughs> they just decided to <laughs> help us out. I don't know, but they they were really really uh, generous about it, and um, you know most of us were up in the uh, you know balconies. Yeah. Uh, the various levels of balconies they have there. Maybe they were just making up for transgressions from, you know, 25 years earlier with, with the whole hoop dreams <laughs> thing. <laughs> who knows? Who knows? But but at any rate, we, we were there in force. Um, yeah. the, the, award, the award itself was um, handed out really early in the program. It was like the fourth or fifth award. It was, yeah. Of the evening, which was kind of cool. Because you know we didn't go into it expecting to um, win, yeah. frankly. Does we it really allow you to think... then relax a little bit? Well, yeah. I mean, you never completely relax because you know who knows. Maybe you will win. But yeah. um, I, I think that that we we kind of figured the film that was going to win was going to did win, yeah. and and um, I think by having the award early, it was kind of great to get it out of the way. Because then it allowed us to mainly um, hang out at the bars in the uh, areas outside the arena, you know, outside yeah. the the, <laughs> the show yeah. for most of the rest of the show. That was the that was the fastest Academy Awards I've ever witnessed because <laughs> we we mostly were drinking um, yes. and then came in for the main awards at the end. And um, so we we had a we had a really great time. Yeah. And and what has happened in since that time with the film and then with the family? Well, uh, uh, what's happened since is, um, uh, well, we won an Emmy uh, recently. Yes, uh, congratulations um, for the film. I, I wasn't at the ceremony. I, I've had better luck when I don't attend ceremonies. <laughs> so I think from now on, I think I'll just skip stay away ceremony. Just go to the bar. Yeah, it's actually a much better way to go. Not well, not even go to the ceremony. Like just be on the couch at home. I think is is the way to go. But um, <laughs> you know, so it's it's it's. 
done well. We we've won a, we won another uh, uh, like a silver gavel award. I think that followed the Oscars. Mm-hmm. I can't remember for sure, but that that's handed out by the American Bar Association. That was kind of cool. Oh wow! And it was great for the songs to get that award. And yeah. and you know we've we've had a couple of screenings, but I've had a chance to. Um, see the songs when I go to New York a, few, a couple of times yeah. at least. And, you know, they're lifelong friends now. So, right. um, you know, it's, it's a, it's just great. You know, it's a great experience. I think we have a screening or two still yet to come that we're going to attend together. So the abacus kind of goes on. So now where are you, where are you keeping all this hardware that you're now accruing in your life, Steve? <laughs> Uh, Are you well, building rooms it, and um, shelves for all of this? Most of it's in. No, 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 no. Well, most of it is in my uh, little tiny, and, and I mean, it's really tiny basement hovel of an office. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's it's not fancy at all. It's where I it's where I edit too. Yeah. So uh, it's it's a very functional, crowded, crazy little office in my basement that's where most of it resides although some of the more interesting looking awards we've put on the mantle in the living room because you know they're just more they're 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 more interesting to look at (laughs) to gaze upon yes (laughs) now now steve in all seriousness um i did mention at the outset that that the show that you came on uh was one of the more popular certainly episodes that we've had on and I, i can't tell you how many emails i've gotten you know, over the life of this program, or even how many guests we've had on this show, like like a Bing Liu or or Chris Kelly of Cambodian Spring or Tim Wardle of Three Identical Strangers, and they, or should I say, we we all seem to have something in common as doc filmmakers, and that is you, Steve. Everyone seems to mention you when they talk about being inspired as doc filmmakers. Can you tell me why that might be? <laughs> Well, I think you might be better. You <laughs> no, and I do actually be mean that position. in all. <laughs> I, 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 I do actually mean well, that in all I, seriousness. I, I, Why do you? What? What is it that that we're all being drawn to, Steve? Because truly, your name comes up all the time when people talk about why you know being inspired to to do the doc films that they do. Well, that's really nice to hear. Um, truly, um, <clears throat> I yeah. mean, I you know, I think the closest I get to uh, understanding or experiencing that is, um, you know, at film festivals, when I have films out in the world, um, you know, I'll meet filmmakers who, you know, who will say nice things about, um, the work, uh, and, and that it was meaning it's meaningful to them. Um, frankly, um, what's, what's particularly meaningful to me about it is this is, I mean, this is going to sound wrong in some ways, but Mm. of course, Hoop Dreams is a film that, that, seems to, you know, connect with a lot of people and, and including filmmakers. But I'm actually um, heartened when I when I hear from filmmakers about other work that I've done, because, uh, yeah, of course, you know, I've, I've heard a lot about Hoop Dreams over the years. Yeah. Well, um, Stevie comes and, up a lot as well, at least from what I hear. Yeah. Stevie and um, is one that in particular, I, I feel it comes up from a lot of filmmakers for yeah. sure. Um, interrupters sometimes. So I'm just, oh, yeah. um, I, I don't know, maybe it, maybe it's because I, I, I maybe, I, maybe it's because, uh, I don't know, my work, uh, I feel like is, uh, has, you know, um, heart to it. Um, yeah. and so maybe it, it, it's affecting to people. Um, it's also, you know, I feel like even though my work is long, 
often. Uh, and the current thing that's out now is certainly no exception. Um, I, uh, I feel like it's entertaining too. And, um, it's not, you know, it doesn't feel like eat your vegetables, uh, (laughs) documentaries. (laughs) At least I hope, at least I hope not. So even the more, even the most serious films that I, I do and, most of the films I do are very serious in, in, in terms of what they're about. Yeah, um, yeah, I, yeah. I, I hope that, that, you know, that, that people find them uh, also full of life, let's say. I, I might add to that. I, I know that this resonates with me and I, and I, and I, I hear from other, other doc filmmakers that it does as well, that there's something about your films as a doc filmmaker, that it becomes apparent that you love what you're doing and that you truly are connecting with the characters that you're presenting. Not that most of us doc filmmakers mm-hmm. don't set out to do, but there's something about your, your films that I, I feel like, and your characters and the way maybe you relate with your characters. That's very disarming. And um, it helps bring us into, into the storylines, I think in a way that certainly the eat your vegetables may, may not may fail in doing, in doing <laughs> Well, that, yeah, that's nice of you to say. I, I do. I think you're right that that I, I and, and I think it shows up in the films, and and it certainly is a is a key part of the experience. I mean, a big part of what motivates me to make films uh, and make documentaries is the opportunity to get close to people who are very often, if not always, very different from me. Yeah. And have very different lives from mine. And mm. um, I've I've been really fortunate over the years to 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 have relationships with the subjects in the course of making the films that are that that feel very meaningful not just to me but to them as well. Right. And and I think that's why so many of the subjects that I have documented over the years I have stayed close to mm. and 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 continue to have relationships with because something happened there uh, for both you know for me and the subjects that that was really meaningful and and you know I hate that word subjects too I, we have to somebody's got to invent mm. a word for the people that are in documentaries because they're not characters yeah. that's that sounds too fictional and subjects sounds just like you know, too antiseptic and almost yeah, a scientific uh, experiment or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, I think for most all of us that make documentaries, that's not how we think of the people that we're, that we're profiling or following. Oak Park, this school is crazy. It's like a social experiment. In this community, there are levels of diversity, but we mentioned race all hell breaks loose. The racial disparities that concerned us are essentially unchanged. We're preparing our black students less well to compete with their peers. Where is the sense of urgency? We are failing our kids every single day. My white friends, they don't even know who Malcolm X is, don't know who Biggie Smalls is. I don't have black friends, I have black acquaintances. It's so white. So you see those cameras? Yeah. If anyone asked, they're recording you. Uh, I was made in The landscape of this school, no space is race neutral. When we initially raised Jontine, we didn't talk about being Asian or black. On the outside, I look like I belong, but on the inside, I feel like I don't. Welcome to America. 
When I see black students in my class, I label it as an extra priority. Well, you shouldn't do that. It's based off a of stereotype. So many people in the world are fighting to have this education, so I need to appreciate it. After seeing so many people give up, I know exactly what's going to happen, so there's really no point. Welcome to America. Everything is made for white kids because this school was made for white kids because this country was made for white kids. I was just shocked the things that the kids are going through. All I've wanted to do is to make a mark. It's a hard fight to change the world. Welcome to America. Instead of being six feet deep, that boy is six feet tall. With the will to be a Harvard graduate, color accurate, black panther, neuroscience innovator. They know we are not thugs or high school dropouts or target practice. We are monarch majesties, pyramid building, slave plantation taking, million man marching, rulers of the country. Welcome to America. So, Steve, obviously we brought you onto the program in large part to talk about your current docu-series, America to Me. Tell us how the project came to be and what the project is about. So, um, I'm going to try to sit on my couch here so my dog will chill out. Let's see I if this works. I heard a dog back there earlier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a crazy dog. And whenever I talk on the phone or even on Skype. He, he gets excited because daddy's talking about all the awards he won. No, no, he just wants he just wants attention. Yes. All right, Dodger, you got to sit down, <laughs> sit down, and relax. All right. So, um, America to me is there's an alarm going off. It's like my smoke alarm, but I, there's I don't think there's any issue. I here. feel like you should Hopefully check that. I'll I'll hang tight. I, no, no, it's okay. okay. I think it's okay. So occasionally that goes off for some silly reason for just. Hopefully that'll be it. Um, so American Me is a 10-part miniseries that focuses on Oak Park River Forest High School uh, here in Oak Park. I live in Oak Park, which is a really interesting community that that's right on, literally on the western edge of Chicago. Yeah. Um, I live four blocks from the city line, and if you, when you cross that line, you're in the neighborhood of Austin which is a very, very different place than Oak Park. It's, um, yeah. you know, it's a very poor, overwhelmingly African-American. And, you know, there's gang issues and violence and all the things that, that unfortunately, um, are, are a real problem in the city. But once you come into Oak Park, where I live, um, it's this incredibly diverse community. It's, it's got quite a range of incomes, including very wealthy people. Yeah. And it, it's a very liberal community takes great pride in it, in its liberal values and inclusion and diversity. And the high school here, and all the schools really, are well-funded public schools. So a lot of people who can uh, live in a place like Oak Park like to live in a place like Oak Park and send their kids to schools for all those reasons. Yeah, and, yeah. But for, for decades, this community, despite all of its advantages, um, has, has, by its own admission, failed at black students. Um, there's been an inequity in achievement and that the community and the school system has had a hard time rectifying or even figuring out. So for years, I thought it would be interesting to go into the high school here, which is very large. It's 3,400 students and very diverse, sort of spend a year in the school and sort of look at what's going on in Oak Park yeah. around issues of race and education. I never thought it would be possible to do it, but... Uh, I discovered some years ago um, through one of the producer uh, teacher who ended up being a producer on this series that that the school board 
was really uh, the ones who would make a decision as to whether we could go into the school, not the superintendent or the principal. Mm -hmm. And as it turns out, we were able to get the school board to allow us into the school over the objections of the school board or over the objections of the principal and the superintendent. And we went in there for a year and we followed a bunch of kids across grades, black, biracial, white. You know, we just did this massive <laughs> yeah. collection of material and following people for, you know, we, we ended up shooting about 1,400 hours of material and, <laughs> and made it into this 10-part miniseries. When I was, I was pitching it um, to the school board to try and get their permission, the question of whether we could do all that I was saying I wanted to accomplish could be accomplished in a single film that I want to school that basically, how can you possibly do justice to all that you're talking to us about in a single standalone film? Of course, I then joked and said, have you seen how long my films are? And <laughs> yeah, right. After, but I said, but in all seriousness, I think you're right. And so at that point, I made a promise to them that, that if it was possible to mount this as a series, I would do that because I thought that was right. Fortunately, participant media... Uh, primary funder of the series, um, they got it and got what, what it is we wanted to do and, and believed that a series was the way to go. And they came on board and funded virtually the entire production. How we were able to do it as a series. And I, you know, it made sense to do it as a series because um, in order to follow a number of kids, I didn't want to follow two or three kids over the course of a school year. I knew that we'd want to follow more kids to really get our idea of experience. Uh, it, it, that, um, kids experience in that school across different grade levels, across different academic tracking levels, and across different lines of race. So, so Steve, can you tell us what some of the biggest differences in your approach doing a docu series is versus doing the um, doing the uh, the feature format? You know, when I when I do a, a, a standalone documentary, um, it's a very small crew. Number mm -hmm. one. Virtually everything, not not completely, but just virtually everything I've shot over the years for standalone docs has been one camera. Occasionally, if it's a big event, a sporting event or something, we might have an extra camera, but that's rare. And so in this case, we recruited some incredible filmmakers um, because I knew that we were going to um, want to have multiple teams in the field following different stories. And yeah. so for this for this series, I recruited. I wanted to recruit a diverse team of filmmakers, given the subject matter and what we were trying to tackle here. And I wanted to have, which is not hard to find, younger filmmakers than me because <laughs> because we're following kids. And, yeah. um, you know, uh, and I think that, that the age difference between me and high schoolers these days is quite considerable. And, and so it would be good to have some younger filmmakers involved. So I recruited several filmmakers. One was Bing Liu, who was on your show yeah. and phenomenal young filmmaker who made Minding the Gap. And I recruited uh, two other great filmmakers, um, Kevin Shaw, uh, who's done a number of documentaries in the sports world and for ESPN, and Rebecca Parrish, who made a film called Radical Grace a few years ago that was quite good. Mm. And so these three filmmakers came on as what we ended up calling segment directors, yeah. which really doesn't represent, it was, it was the only thing I could get the DGA to agree to. Oh. They're, they're very, very restrictive about directing credit. Um, I wanted them to be story directors. I thought that really captured their contribution. That's but, what first came to mind for me was story director. Yeah, but they wouldn't let me do that for union reasons. <laughs> yeah. I tried, but so what each of them did along with me is, is that we each were shooter directors in the field. Okay. And we followed, um, we, we 
followed different kids, of course, across the school year. And as we went along, we added kids to our story. So by the time you get to the end of this series, we are actually following 12 kids. Yeah, that's right. You seem to add one or two each episode for sure. We add kids as we go. And, um, and as a result, you know, the four of us ended up following three different kids. And then I also followed the administration yeah. and the school board and some of the, the, the kinds of um, more public aspects of the school. <laughs> when I first came up with the idea for the Documentary Life podcast, I was hoping to reach out and start connecting with other like-minded individuals and maybe create a community where doc filmmakers could learn from and get inspired by one another. And I wanted to have conversations that weren't just about the technical aspects of documentary filmmaking. I wanted to also be having discussions on what it meant to live the life of a creative, in our case, as doc filmmakers. And to my pleasant surprise and amazement, that is precisely what has happened with both the podcast and our community group. And now, we've expanded upon that idea with the release of Living Your Documentary Life, a program that breaks down the ways in which you can, through the creation of your art, live a sustainable, creative, and fulfilling documentary life. In Living Your Documentary Life, we remove the obstacles that you currently have in your life that are holding you back from making your documentary film, whether that be financial obligations, your immediate relationships, or your mindset and confidence in your abilities. You will gain perspective, build momentum, and create a lifestyle that serves you creating your best documentary filmmaking projects. If this sounds like the kind of doc life that you want to be leading, we'd love to help. Just head on over to thedocumentarylife.com slash yourdoclife, and let's get you living and leading your best doc life today. Yeah, actually, from a sort of a technical set standpoint, I was trying to figure out how you had this set up. I didn't realize that you were one of the cameras that was going around. I thought perhaps you were, you know, cameras were hooked up wirelessly, and you were watching from a room and monitors and kind of directing from there. So you were oh, actually no. one of your camera setups yourself. Yeah, no, and and I uh, I would never adopt that kind of approach. It uh, would with, not seem like an approach that you would adopt. That's that's total reality TV approach. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, I think that that's why they these filmmakers are are real bona fide directors that's in right. the series. They're not field producers, which is what reality television would have made. Yes, them. <laughs> you know, they would have been field producers, even though in reality they were really are directing in the field in reality television too. But yeah. regardless, that that's that's not a credit that's available <laughs> yeah. to them. And and so you know, no, each of these filmmakers. I mean, we would talk about what they were filming, and yeah. we would um, compare notes, and we would. Um, and sometimes they'd ask my thoughts or advice on on a situation. Absolutely. But but for the most part, they were totally empowered and did a terrific job of just going out and following the stories they were following. And we would help each other out, which was fun. I think I shot I shot some on with every single kid in the series, mm. um, but not a lot. There was mm. a couple I shot a little bit here and there on and. But we would help each other out if they and and the filmmakers would help me out too. It's like if you were if you were um, busy and couldn't make a shoot that day, we I'd call up Bing or Kevin or Rebecca and just say, "Hey, one of you help me out and go film one of my kids. Yeah. This, this is going on today," and they would do that. So it was a really hugely collaborative, creative undertaking. And I wanted filmmakers who were shooters too to yes. keep our small and for budget reasons. And, and so that's what I also did as well. Um, I, I, you know, I went out and, and shot as well. 
I don't think people quite understand how life and death that this job can be. My first year at Oak Park, I had a student who was really troubled and very violent in class. I did the best that I could, but I stayed somewhat emotionally disengaged. His dad contacted me this year to say that he had been killed from gang violence. Maybe I didn't do enough to support him, and the school could have done more to help him so that he didn't have this fate. And I just feel really awful, and I don't want to carry that with me. So when I have a kid like Keyshawn, who sometimes he's not at all like this kid, I've not seen any violent tendencies, but I don't want to get a phone call from, you know, his mom saying that this happened to him. And I can't do that with another kid because it's hard enough with this one. You're operating with a generation that is so used to seeing reality TV. They're so used to seeing screens. They're so used to seeing cameras and mobile phones and devices being pointed in their direction. How did that help or hinder your process? Well, I, I looked at it as a as a positive for the most for the most part. Yeah. Um, because you're right, this generation is used to documentation. Yeah. You know, everybody's got a camera in their pocket and um, and even a movie camera in a sense in their pocket. And so, oh, yeah. you know, I think that I think that that's a feature of of life for young people today. And so when whenever they interacted with us, uh, whether it was joking about reality television or, or kind of imagining themselves <laughs> in reality television, yeah. we, we love that, actually. You know, we don't we didn't put every single reference in, but but the ones that there's that, some in there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we just thought that that that's great, and in, and in fact, I think for some of the kids, they that was their point of reference, which allowed them to want to participate because they liked reality television. But it also it also though became clear to them as we went along that that's not what we're making here, mm -hmm. and and so for some of them, there was an adjustment period to that to to realizing that what we're up to here is is has a more serious intent than than reality television, and they had to kind of adjust to that. Now, Steve, in this series, you're doing some narrating again throughout the series, albeit maybe a, to a little bit lesser degree than in some of your films. I'm curious, is there a Steve James brand now? Is, th is this something that you're keenly <laughs> aware of? And it's this, this voice, right, that we connect with as an audience now? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't, you know, I don't, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. Um, I, I think that it, the I don't think that I, uh, my work, you know, I, I don't think there's a Steve James brand in the way that there's a Werner Herzog Morris, or something, <laughs> Earl Morris brand or yeah, Werner yeah. Herzog. I yeah. mean, I think if I, if I adopted and I'm pretty good at doing hers, like, like about eight, 800,000 other people, I'm pretty good at doing Herzog's uh, style narration. Oh yeah. You might try that sometime with one of your films. <laughs> I could do it. I could do it. Um, you know, so I think certain filmmakers like, Herzog and Earl Morris yeah. have have a kind of brand, um, if you will. I, I guess if I have a brand, it's just I, I try to tackle contemporary social realities and and but do it in a way that that is intimate uh, and personal uh, in terms of the stories. Yeah. And I hope uh, has com complexity mm -hmm. um, as well. And. And is not um, not trying to um, 
you know, I'm not making advocacy work here. Um, uh, I'm trying to capture complex realities, but do so in a way that that is thought provoking and entertaining, I guess you could say. And, you know, a lot of the a lot of the works people know of mine, if they know my work is is mostly driven by verite scenes. But I am but I also interview people, too, and uh, in the work and and a big part of the reason I do that is, is that I feel like like a series like this, I don't think there's any way you can get at the um, complexity of the realities of, of what we're trying to capture mm. by just doing observational cinema. If, if we just went into the school and didn't interview anybody or into, into the homes of these kids and their families and didn't interview anybody at all during the course of the, the, the filmmaking, I'm not saying it wouldn't it couldn't be a powerful film. I think it could be. But uh, um, but in terms of the ruminations and the ways in which people think and grapple with race and wrestle with race and and the issues of education, I think it would be it would be a lot harder to capture the complexity of that by just observing it. I'd love to know, Steve, what did you learn about shooting the long form docuseries that perhaps you didn't know prior? From a shooting standpoint, I don't know that I learned uh, a whole lot more than than what I had already learned from from shooting the New Americans. Yeah, you know well, that maybe that we'll was, say producing producing a long form series. The challenges had to do with number one, dealing with the administration yeah. for the entire school year. We would have weekly meetings, and the the administration at the direction of the school board was cooperating with the filming, but there were there were absolutely um, times when they were reluctant to do so and, and aspects that they, 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 they definitely tried in, in ways to control our access. And so that created some conflicts uh, during the school year that we, we had to deal with. And so it was, it was very stressful. This series was very stressful to make from the standpoint of the ambition of it, coupled with the difficulty of, of navigating relationships and navigating relationships with teachers as well, and and to some extent navigating relationships with families and kids. There yeah. was just a lot of moving parts to this series, and even though I had a tremendous amount of help in every regard, um, it 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 this was the probably the hardest thing I've had to make wow. ever, yeah. because it it ended up being three to three and a half years of intensive work on all fronts. Yeah. I think the other big challenge really came in the editing. I was going and, to ask you about that. I mean, in fact, last time we talked to you, you were, you were editing some, some episodes. Yeah. So we had this, we had a, a large, uh, team, uh, and very talented team of editors, uh, David E. Simpson, uh, who has worked with me on a number of films uh, as an editor, co-editor, Leslie Simmer, who actually worked with me years ago, a film we did together called, uh, we edited together called the war tapes. Um, uh, and Leslie's a very talented editor at Cartemquin, uh, Elena Schmelter and Ruben Daniels. So we had this incredible team and we, it was a monstrous editing challenge. And it was one that, it, it was one that we, we sort of relished, but yeah. it was a monster because there's so many moving parts in this series. And, you know, with, with ultimately 12 kids and teachers and families and, and, um, big sporting events and extracurricular activities and classrooms and school board meetings, um, you know, we, we, the attempt here is to make a series that is uh, more ambitious and goes more places in a single school than perhaps any other film or series has done. Absolutely. I don't know if we, I don't know if we succeeded or not, but I think we did that. 
And and but to do that, but to do that in a way that would also, um, you know, people would want to watch it and and tune in week to week and yeah. and be invested in the lives of these kids. Uh, and these are kids, too, that are not, you know, they're not living in poor neighborhoods and at risk of gang violence and all the kind of drama that goes with with that, that many documentaries have documented, including my own. Mm. These, these were kids whose dramas were different and, and I think vitally important to tell. And so this was, you know, and then so how we organize the episodes and where we bring kids back and lose them for an episode or, you know, my only really significant idea going in structurally to this was is that I said to the team, I think each episode should have some kind of major set piece sequence in it that is kind of anchor in the series, uh, anchor for the episode. And so each of the episodes, it might be a football game or a basketball game right. or a homecoming dance or prom or, you know, a spoken word competition. Yep. But each each of the episodes has that kind of anchor in it. And other than that, it was sort of like everything was on the table mm. as long as we honored the progression of the school year. <laughs> yeah. yeah how how we told it and constructed it and it uh, if i'm very proud of this series on a lot of fronts i'm as proud of the editing as any aspect because i because i feel like we did succeed at it on an editorial level in keeping all those plates spinning uh as you watch the series and steve how has it been do you have an idea how it's been received by the people that that you were filming how the series has been received thus far Oh yeah. Um, yeah. the, the series is really, you know, we had some rough patches with some of the subjects when we showed their, their, their story to them, you know, something which I may have mentioned last time we talked, uh, on every film or series I've ever done, we share, we share it with the subjects before it's complete right. the main subject. Now on a film that's challenging enough <laughs> on a series like this, with so many people, it was a monstrous challenge to, and so what we did is, is that at a certain juncture, later in the editing process, we shared the individual stories with each of the individual okay, students, I see. students and their families and certain key teachers. So they got to watch them, not, not in the large Jeez. context of the whole series, but they got to watch their part. And then, and then I, with filmmakers, if it was their subjects or, if it was families that I was following, I just did it alone. I went and met with all of them to talk to them about how they perceived the story that we were telling of them and to hear the feedback. And it, it and, and the good news is, is that for the most part, it was very, you know, well received and people felt like we had, had captured um, their year and their experience and their lives in a, in a, in a good and fair way. Mm. But there were, there were some subjects who, who felt like we had not done that and we had to kind of deal with that. And we did. Um, and that's why I do this. Um, yeah. I don't do it to hand over editorial control. I do it to try to get closer to the truth. And I, and I believe that the subjects have uh, a voice in that, uh, have agency in that. And that mm. goes back, that goes back to something we talked about at the beginning of this call which is that a key part of building those kind of relationships with your subjects is trusting them to have a voice in this, in the making of this film as well. That's on them that, that, you know, I like to say that 
um, and it's not just a line with me. I really feel like I walk it, which is, is that I, I like to think that we make the films with the subjects, not on the subjects. And, and so <clears throat> that process had to be dealt with and we dealt with it. And I'm, I'm happy to report at this stage that I think I'm pretty clear that every kid and fan and, and their families feel good about the stories we're telling their stories we're telling and they're happy that they were a part of this series and even proud to be a part of the series. And so that always feels great. It doesn't always happen, but I've had good luck over the years for it to mostly happen that, that that's where people land in the, in the process of making them. And I think film. that this series ultimately will be, um, you know, interestingly enough, an incredible piece of education, uh, hopefully for a lot of people in this country, which in itself, and, and which leads me to my sort of my final question, which really has nothing to do with, with doc filmmaking at all, but I'd love to hear. Um, uh, I'm, I'm personally very curious, Steve, what you learned uh, at, at the end of this, uh, this whole process, what did you learn about the state of education in this country, in the U S that you may not have known before? Well, there's a lot I learned. Um, you know, the, some things bigger picture, some things more anecdotal in terms of just, you know, witnessing great teaching, uh, witnessing teachers who struggle um, to control classrooms because they don't seem to know how to relate to the students in their classroom. And so it's a struggle. But, you know, in terms of more big picture, I, I think some of the things that really stood out were uh, one is, is that the way in which we define becoming educated is extremely narrow yeah. and 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 how we define whether you are educated or not is too often um, focused on things like grade point average and and ACT scores. Yeah. And and those are a certain kind of measurement for sure. But they are an incredibly limited, limited and yeah. way to, to evaluate whether someone is, is smart and, and a good student even. Um, and they are racially fraught um, because of the way education has evolved in this country. And so that's one big picture thing I took away because we met so many students who I would never have thought are students who are not performing well by those measures because they were, they were incredibly bright, they were passionate, and, and yet they were, in a sense, examples of the quote-unquote achievement gap, and that made no sense to me. But the, <laughs> the, the, other, the, other, big, um, the other big takeaway for me was, uh, well, number one is I learned a ton about being white. <laughs> um, this is a series boy, that... Oh as you go on there and the white kids that are introduced in episode five and become a part uh, and their families become a part of the series yeah. from, from episode five through the end, you will see that the series really does become more and more, not exclusively, but more and more about being white in, yeah. in America and being white uh, in a place like Oak Park and issues of white privilege and, and blindness <laughs> and, and I, and I, along with those families, by documenting uh, their experiences, um, I learned a lot in, in terms of looking at myself in, in terms of that regard. And, and extending that out, 
coming to understand that that real change in a community like Oak Park for all its liberal values and its resources, and by extension, America, liberal or not, we have great resources, um, that real change can only happen when white people want it to happen. And, and that's why Oak Park has struggled. One of the reasons why Oak Park has struggled to make real change and do courageous change is because this community and this educational system here has worked so remarkably well for the white people that live here for so many years that real change has been um, hard to, to put in place because it works so well for us already. And so, and I think that that by extension is what's going on in America on so many fronts. Oh man, oh yeah. Uh, and you know, and Trump, Trump's election represents in many ways a, a, a push to hold on to that. That's right. Um, in, in a very strong and clear <laughs> way. <laughs> and so, you know, I think that Oak Park is just a microcosm. It's a liberal version, but it's a microcosm of America in that regard. And, and that was something that I really took away. Steve, there's no way I'm going to follow that up with another question. I think it's a it's a it's a perfect ending for this whole whole discussion. Steve, I truly can't thank you enough for agreeing to come on the program. Um, you know, a second time within a year. We really, really, I personally very much appreciate that, and I know that there's a whole heck of a lot of a lot of doc filmmakers and listeners out there who um who very much appreciate you coming on again and, and sharing with us your your wonderful words of wisdom and certainly the story with uh, with America to me. Yeah, an amazing series. As always, I applaud your career. And um, thank you again, Steve, for, for agreeing to come on the program. Sure. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to talk. Don't forget, if you're looking to live and lead a documentary life, you need to head over to thedocumentarylife.com slash yourdoclife and take a look at our Living Your Documentary Life program. We'll help you craft your lifestyle so that you are able to make the documentary films that you want to make and live the doc life you want to live.